Welcome to the Divorce Tribe Podcast. My name is Luke Mydell, and I created this weekly podcast to provide support and healing as you navigate the daily trials that accompany divorce. I have been where you are, I have walked that lonely road, and I'm hoping to share what I have learned and what I am still learning through others. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Welcome to Episode 7, A Tale of Four Therapists. It was the best of therapy. It was the worst of therapy. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. This week, we will be discussing the good and the bad of therapy. Mostly good, but some bad. And I've had both. My goal this episode is to outline my history with therapy. For therapists, to be exact. And to give you an idea what to look for when finding a good therapist yourself and the things to watch out for in therapy. Now, I'm really excited about this episode, because up until a couple days ago, I had lost all my notebooks for my therapy sessions. Now, this might not seem like a big deal. I figured I threw them in the garbage with some of the other stuff I discarded after my ex left. But as I was scrounging under my bed in a small plastic bin for some exercise plans the other day, I came across my treasure trove of therapy notes. These were basically my divorce journal entries at the very beginning of the process, even before divorce was on the horizon. Now, my divorce story happens over a period of a few years, and it basically went from a period of lows to the lowest lows to a quick jump up and then a gradual elevation to some very happy highs before plummeting back down to the lowest lows again. And I don't think I've reached the same level as those happy highs. You know, divorce is weird like that. Am I happier now that I'm divorced? (laughs) At times, I don't know. I certainly don't feel happier, but I do feel more at peace. And I feel like I've been released from a bad situation. So while I'm not happy all the time, I'm content and I'm healing. So I found these therapy notes, and I was really excited to find them, which is weird in a way. But these notes contain the early emotions and thoughts and concerns and fears and all that storm that was going on in my mind at the time. So I'll be using them as we talk about my experience with therapy today. But before we delve into that, it's time for story time, where I discuss the current book I'm reading, and hopefully how it pertains to today's topic. It's amazing how much time you actually have to sit down and read and accomplish your other goals when you stop watching TV a couple hours a night. Since I started this podcast, I've read about seven new books, most on divorce or breakups or co-parenting, and then one on mindfulness and meditation. About 50% of the books I've read so far for this podcast are memoirs written by women who went through divorce, and the writing styles and divorce stories are as varied as you would expect. It just reaffirms the idea that 
Like snowflakes, no two divorces are the same. Yes, there are similarities, whether it's a cheating husband, dealing with grief, dating again. Can't wait to get to that topic. But each of us is unique. We are unique. Have you ever thought about that? There is no one that is the same as you. You are special, and it doesn't matter what that bastard of an ex says about you or what you say about yourself in the mirror. You need to look at yourself through God's eyes. That's something I told my ex often when we were going through hard times. And it can be really hard to do that with someone like an ex. But if we look at them through God's eyes, we tend to have more compassion for them. That doesn't mean we let them run over us. That doesn't mean we don't set and maintain boundaries. That just means we can look at them without hate and anger getting in the way. And eventually with forgiveness. Well, one of these people I've had to view through God's eyes is Rachel Cusk, as she details some of the stuff that went on through her divorce. But something her and I had in common was our initial skepticism of therapists. And while I got over my initial skepticism by finding a good therapist, I'm not sure she ever does get over her skepticism. She devotes an entire chapter of her memoir to describing her new relationship with her ex post-divorce, her new relationship with another man she starts dating, and her therapist. In her initial description of her therapist, she states, Wise religion is psychoanalysis, and I have not come to worship. I need to be converted first. She then goes on to compare to her therapist how getting out of her marriage was like leaving a dictatorial relationship. Quote, People overthrow their governments and then they want them back, I say. They evict their dictator and then they don't know what to do with themselves. They complain that everything is chaos now, that there is no law and order anymore. Why raises his eyebrows at the word dictator? Is it malattention I want or malauthority? Is there a difference, Why says, rummaging pleasurably in his beard. Ultimately, Cuss goes through therapy but she never describes it in a way that shows it is helpful. She even compares it to a man visiting a brothel and paying for sex, only she is paying for understanding. Quote, And just as that is not love, so this cannot be understanding. What then is it? I am certain why I will say that my feelings of rebellion against, against psychoanalysis are predictable and meaningful, that my rebellion can be encompassed by that against which I am rebelling. Occasionally we have discussed the ways in which therapy might be brought to an end, but it always sounds to me rather like dying, long and drawn out, a matter not of choice, but of some greater law of genesis and cessation of which we are apparently at the mercy. She seems to convey in her memoir that she was never converted to the therapy of psychoanalysis, that she goes because it is what she's supposed to do, and not for any real purpose, like a churchgoer who has no faith, but goes because it's just what society wants him or her to do. And while my experience with therapy started a lot like Cusk's viewpoint, I was eventually converted by finding a good therapist at the point I needed one. And this therapist wasn't just good with helping me heal from my divorce, she was helpful in many aspects of my life that I'd been dealing with that had nothing to do with my marriage, but that I'd been dealing with my entire life. Divorce tends to dredge up old emotions and thoughts, and this therapist was able to help me get a handle on those things. So with that, let's start into the tell of four therapists. It was the best of therapy, it was the worst of therapy, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. 
It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Talk about great writing, man. That Charles Dickens was a master. You know, I'm going to share with you my telephone therapist. And no, it wasn't the best of times. It was much more the worst of times. Foolishness, incredulity, darkness, despair, and hell. All stark opposites outlined in Charles Dickens' opening paragraph of A Tale of Two Cities. And in my case, I experienced many of those stark opposites in therapy. I experienced a spring of hope and then a winter of despair. I experienced an epoch of belief and an epoch of incredulity. I experienced light and darkness, wisdom and foolishness. So in the wise words of Inigo Montoya, You told me to go back to the beginning, so I have. This is where I am, and this is where I will stay. Now, the interesting thing about my therapist was that I saw each of them during a completely different phase of my relationship. The first phase was before divorce was even a sliver of an idea in my head. My then-wife shared some troubles she had been facing from her past, and we went in to see our bishop together. He set us up with a therapist through our church group. Here's the thing about those therapists. One, they were never long-term. Even if we had wanted to see one long-term, the rules of the church were that you see them at most a few times and then move on. At that point, you have to find a different therapist as an adult. We went in to see this therapist one time. They walked through the issues that my then-wife was having and gave a few tips and sent us on our way. That's it. That was flipping it. And I was an idiot. I should have got us in to see a real therapist at the time, but my ex had learned early on that you just push those things down and pretend you're fine. It reminds me of that song in the Book of Mormon musical, uh, Turn It Off, Like a Light Switch, Just Go Click. It's a nifty little Mormon trick. We do it all the time. Anyway, um... She told me it was just an episode, and she was fine. I believed her, but I see this as one of those first real signs that things were rocky. She had started school and was spending more and more time outside the home, and I was ignorant to what was going on, so that was our first experience with therapy, and it was pretty much useless. It was so immemorable that I don't even remember whether the therapist was a woman or a man. So that's our first therapist, nondescript, Useless, immemorable, and no help at all. Our second therapist was years later when the figurative crap hit the figurative fan, when things got real bad real fast. We first saw this therapist a week or two after things went to hell. I looked her up. She was close to where we lived. She was trained in the specific issue we were then facing, and she was a woman. The last part was necessary for my ex to feel comfortable and I was willing to try anything at that point to give us an advantage. Now, this therapist was a good therapist, and who knows? You know, maybe our first, first therapist was a good therapist, but I couldn't tell you as we were only allowed that one visit. We first went in together and shared what was happening. I was devastated at the time, barely able to get out a coherent sentence without breaking down. To be fair... I didn't see a way out of this for us that didn't end in divorce. My gut was telling me that I needed to protect the kids, get the hell out of there, that you fight with everything you have to make it work. 
That's why I get triggered sometimes when I see people posting about how they're thinking about divorce because they're not happy. I'm trying to be more sympathetic when I see those posts, but you have people who went through hell trying to save their marriage, and so when they see someone wanting to give up because of general unhappiness or malaise, it's tough to understand. Anyway, at this point, I wasn't even sure my ex wanted to remain married. I didn't think she did. But I was going to try my darndest to do anything I could. So we went through therapy. And my homework after that first session was to answer these questions for when we came back. One, what is it that I need and want out of therapy? And two, what specific things do I need to help me feel safe and secure? And these are good questions. The first one is applicable no matter the reason you're going through therapy. The second question was specific to our couples therapy, but it's also relevant no matter what situation you're in. We want to feel safe and secure, whether that's a warm house with a bed, locks on the doors, or feeling safe and secure emotionally. It's similar to the house versus home comparison that we talked about last week. You can feel safe and secure in those basic needs, food, shelter, etc., but you can also desire feeling safe and secure in those psychological needs. The second therapist was helpful in my healing, and in my ex's healing for that matter. Here are a few things that she taught me. One, the three A's. Now, before I found my therapy notes, I looked up the three A's online to remember how to put these in action, and it turns out that they are taught to spouses in Al-Anon, who have loved ones who are alcoholics. The three A's are acknowledge, acceptance, and action. And they were taught to me to help me deal with feelings and thoughts and emotions and memories that were destroying me from the inside out. What she taught me was when those emotions or thoughts or feelings come up unexpectedly, I needed to acknowledge the feeling and why I feel that way. Once I acknowledged the feeling, such as, I feel extreme grief and anger, Anger is the secondary emotion, grief is the primary emotion, for what my wife did. Once I acknowledged the feeling, I needed to accept the feeling. It's not good or bad, it's just the feeling that I have. I shouldn't judge it. If I'm feeling grief, which leads to anger about what my wife did, I am able to acknowledge those emotions, accept them for what they are. I feel extreme grief, and I accept that grief as a normal emotion and feeling in this situation. The final A is action. I decide what to do about this feeling or this memory or this emotion. Even if the action is telling myself, you know what? You're at work. You need to focus on what you're doing and deal with this emotion at a later time. I remember a specific time shortly after therapy that I used this. I was at work. I was staring at my computer screen and I could not for the life of me see anything on it. My mind was so full that I just couldn't do anything. And so I made a conscious decision. I acknowledged that emotion that I was feeling. I accepted it. This is completely normal that you're feeling this way. Look at what happened in your life. This is okay that you're feeling this way. And then I acted on it. But you know what? There's nothing you can do right now. You're at work. Nothing you can do will change this. So my action at that time was to say, I'm going to deal with this at a later time. 
Other actions would be asking my spouse if the feeling I was feeling is a doubt based on my gut or if I feel like something is off. My action would be to come from a place of vulnerability, not of accusation, and tell my spouse, you know, I feel something is off. Uh, Tell them why you feel something is off and then ask them to think about it and we could discuss it later because when backed in a corner, people will often defend themselves automatically. I experienced it as a type of gaslighting. But in this situation, the therapist was teaching me how to function. Now, there are good aspects about this mental tool. At that time in my life, I could barely function. I was going to work, looking at a screen, and I couldn't see a dang thing. It was right there in front of me, but my mind was so clouded and distraught that all I could do was answer emails, review paperwork, stuff that didn't require a lot of mental capacity. So this pattern of mental awareness was very beneficial in just helping me to deal with life. But there are also bad aspects of it. What it was teaching me to do was to push those emotions or thoughts to another time and not to deal with them. And so for a long time, I was able to deal with these emotions, but I wasn't really dealing with them. You can't see me, but I'm making the little quote symbols with my fingers, just so you know. And I didn't realize what harm this was doing in my healing process until I took a mindfulness-based stress reduction class. And it helped me to reach a greater place of healing. So I guess it did what it needed to do at the time. But I needed to eventually move on from it to a better tool. And I never did find the appropriate tool with this therapist. Another tool that kind of went along with this was replacement therapy doing something distracting when these things came up. When I have a nightmare and can't sleep, get out of bed, engage your mind so you don't think about it. Um, Another thing she taught me was to set up boundaries in my relationship and consequences for those boundaries if they were broken. And so I made a list of boundaries and what I would do if they were broken. Now, my initial list of boundaries were demands. Do not do this or I will do this. Do not do this or I will do this. When I went over those boundaries with the therapist, she had me reword them. Instead of, don't do this, we changed them to I statements. I'll read one of my boundaries. Quote, I need you to be honest with me about what happened in such and such an instance. Uh, If I find out you lied, it will hurt our trust and set us back. Another boundary I set up had the consequence of me leaving with the kids and separating to consider my options. Now, these boundaries are somewhat different from the boundaries you need to set up post-divorce, but I'll be talking about that next week. The next thing she taught me was how to communicate with the motions. The I feel blank because blank pattern. So, I feel sad because of uh, this specific situation or what you said. Um, You know, we talk about our emotions rather than uh, immediately turning to blame. And then the communication model where I say something, my wife repeats it back to me as a question. So, you know, oh, do you mean this? And then I add any clarification to make sure she understands or if she repeats it back and doesn't quite get it. Uh, And then she repeats it back to me again as a question after the clarification, you know, with some modifications. And then we do that until, you know, I agree that she understands me correctly. And then she is compassionate about how I'm feeling. 
So, oh, well, I, you know, I understand. I'm so sorry that you're feeling this way. You know, I can understand how, how you would be feeling sad from this. And then I do the same thing. So each of these tools was beneficial, but some of them were only beneficial at the beginning, and I needed to move past them to find greater healing rather than just putting off that healing. Now, while we're discussing the second therapist, let's talk about the negatives of therapy when you're trying to save your divorce. The thing that my therapist kept repeating over and over in therapy when I would voice my concerns was that I needed to choose to trust my wife. So when my gut was telling me something is off and I would ask my wife about it and she would tell me everything is fine, I need to choose to trust my wife. This was not what I needed to do. At this point, I needed to trust my gut in this instance. And it was hard because I wanted to believe in the therapy. And I actually got to a place where I believed the therapy was working and it was working. But therapy without honesty on the part of both parties and a sincere desire and willingness to do the work to help a marriage can be pointless. And this is what happened for me. I was following the steps that this therapist outlined. I was healing. I was choosing to trust my wife. And it was creating hope in me that had been gone from my heart for so long. I felt like I had seen God's hand guiding me in saving my marriage. And so when things came crashing down around me, when I realized that this airplane we had built together in therapy was held together with nothing but old chewing gum and expired Elmer's glue, it came crashing to the ground. And I was at the same point emotionally that I had been at over a year before when we first started going to therapy. It basically gave me a false hope. This was therapist two. Now, Therapist 3 was a specialist that we started seeing while we were seeing Therapist 2. It was a sex therapist, and not a great one. Now, a sex therapist, just so you're aware, is a type of therapy where you talk through concerns about intimacy, sexual dysfunction, general beliefs about sex, sex education, and the specific concerns that you have grown up with or developed in your marriage. Now, I think sex therapy should be a prerequisite before marriage, especially in individuals or couples with a strong religious background who believe in chastity before marriage. You were raised your entire life being told that sex is bad, stay away from your sexual emotions, and you get to the point where you feel deep shame if you get aroused, which is ridiculous. Our bodies are made to be aroused, and here we are feeling this deep self-loathing for it. And then all of a sudden, we get married, and all that stuff we've been conditioned to believe about sex is gone. Oh, you're good now. You're good. You can go do it. Well, guess what? I don't know how to do it. I mean, I know how to do it, but I don't understand things like anxiety and how to make it enjoyable for both people. He began by going over our different backgrounds and histories regarding sex in the first two sessions. We spent the third session going over a PowerPoint presentation of the sexual response process. All this was fine, but by that time I knew about where the genitalia were. I knew what was supposed to happen when you did certain things, so it was a little elementary. Then comes the next session. We sat down and he said, So, what do you want to talk about now? Well, we had told him what we wanted to talk about. We had told him our goals with therapy. I wanted a clear picture of what we would be working towards in our sessions. 
and it wasn't going to happen. That session was a bust. The things I didn't like. He didn't believe me when I told him something I didn't do. I could see it in his slightly upturned eyes and his slight glance at the ceiling. He didn't seem very likable. You need a therapist that is likable. My ex didn't like him. After that session, we walked out, looked at each other, and both voiced the opinion that he wasn't going to be any more help to us. And so we walked away from that therapist and continued going to therapist number two, at least until a couple months before things went to crap again. So, on to therapist four. We have now seen wisdom and foolishness, light and darkness, hope and despair. We had the worst of times and some good times. But here's the thing. Those good times were built upon sand uh, in the Bible. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, in all fairness, the second therapist was good and helpful. But you can only do so much when someone is dishonest during therapy. And so a few months after my divorce was final, my ex had moved out into her new apartment. I had started working from home to take care of my kids probably a year before the divorce, and I was struggling to heal. I didn't have time to heal or the tools that were working to help me heal, and I didn't want to go back to therapist too. I was bent out of shape at her telling me that I needed to choose to trust my wife. And so I researched on psychologytoday.com and found a new therapist, one that checked the right boxes and had a kind face because I'm weird like that. And I had to start at the beginning. That's one of the hard things about finding a new therapist. You have to go through the entire sordid tell of the demise of your marriage again. But I did, and I was in a pretty sad emotional state at the time. But I got through that first session, and I started going regularly. Weekly at first, and then as I started gaining confidence and learning the skills I needed to heal, I started going every other week, and then once a month. Now, this therapist helped me heal from the trauma of my divorce, but she was also instrumental in helping me resolve some internal conflicts I had held my entire life regarding sex and spirituality. I'll talk more about that on a later episode because I have to say it's a fascinating topic, but something I will share today was her use of mindfulness to help me heal from my divorce. Now, let me say this. When I first heard the word mindfulness, I had no idea what it meant. It was an amorphous concept that sounded a little like hokum to me. But as I worked with this therapist, her methods started helping me heal using a, an approach where I wasn't choosing to put my emotions on the back burner, where they weren't really healing. They were just continuing to bubble and boil. In mindfulness, you get to a point where you are able to observe your emotions and thoughts and feelings, acknowledging your feelings, thoughts, and sensations through different tools. One of these tools she taught me was to picture a safe space, either a space I had been or a space that felt safe in my mind, a place where no one else is, and I go through all my senses while I am in the safe space. Sight, sounds, smell, touch, and taste. And even though I didn't take notes, I remember what I used for my first safe space. It was a warm beach on the Oregon coast. I could see the waves crashing against the rocky sea crag with a lighthouse. 
I could taste the salt in the air and smell the sea and the ocean breeze as it brushed past me. I could feel the warm sand around my feet and between my toes. I could hear seagulls beyond the waves. And this helped me focus. It helped me with anxiety, and it also helped me progress to the next stage, the use of mindfulness to help with negative thoughts. Instead of pushing aside the negative thoughts, we practice confronting those thoughts that we're trying to numb. She also introduced this cognitive behavioral therapy triangle, where I place the thought I'm having at the top, such as, why was I so stupid choosing to trust my wife? And then I place behaviors in one corner and feelings in another corner, because our thoughts impact our behavior and our feelings, and our feelings impact our thoughts and behavior, and our behavior impacts our feelings and thoughts. And we get in this cycle of negative thoughts which impact our feelings and our behaviors. And there are several ways to stop this negative pattern. One is to introduce wait-a-minutes between the thoughts and the feelings. So taking the same thought, why was I so stupid choosing to trust my wife? I introduce a wait-a-minute thought. You know, trust is a noble, higher path to take. It's not a negative thing to trust. Those wait-a-minutes stop that continual negative cycle that just goes around and around. It introduces a wait-a-minute that just puts a halt to it. Now, the final tool I'll discuss today was imagining myself as a separate person who had experienced the same things that I had experienced, who was feeling the same emotions and sadness and grief that I was feeling, and ask myself how I would feel about this person. What would I want to do if I saw this person and knew what they were going through, and they were a dear friend? My answer was, I would want to comfort them, embrace them, and cry with them, and help them get up and on their feet. And to help with that, I could even make believe you're self-comforting yourself until you calm down. Put your hand on your arm. Comfort yourself. Now, this is just a scratch on the surface of what I learned in therapy. I've since taken a separate mindfulness class, which has expanded my understanding of the practice of mindfulness. I'll talk about that on a later episode. As for therapy, ultimately you can gain tools and experience from reading books and studying yourself, but it is so much more helpful when you have a guide who can help you along this path. You need a guide you trust, a guide who can be part of your divorce tribe, a guide who won't judge you, but will help you heal. That is what therapy can offer when you find the right therapist. Don't worry about going to several until you find one that fits. This isn't sisterhood of the traveling pants. There isn't a one-size-fits-all option. Out of all the four therapists I saw, one was spectacular, one was good but hampered by the information she was given during therapy, and the other two were... Yeah, that's about it. So don't go to one therapist or even two therapists and say just like I thought. It's a bunch of hokum. Let yourself find a good therapist, and it can do wonders in helping you heal. Let me share a story that has nothing to do with divorce to illustrate the importance that therapy can have on your healing process. About 10 years ago, I took a long road trip with my extended family. We were in two cars. One was filled with my parents, me and my wife and our son. My daughter wasn't born yet. The other car had my brother and his wife, my other brother and his wife, and my other brother, who was not yet married. They were crammed in my brother's car. 
So the last day of the trip, we were in Moab, Utah, and we had a four-hour drive ahead of us to make it home to Salt Lake. Well, my brother and his wife with my other brother and his wife and my other brother in the other car decided we want to get home as soon as possible. We're not going to hang around Moab for, you know, the morning. We just need to go. And so we woke up in the morning, they got up, they got in their car, and they just left. Now, I love vacation. I didn't want it to end. And so I stuck around. I stayed with my parents, stayed with my wife, my kids. um, And we, you know, went on a beautiful hike to Corona Arch, which is this amazing arch uh, close to Moab. Um, And we had lunch and then we packed up and we left for the day and we started driving home. Well, when we were getting close to Salt Lake City, about an hour away, my dad got a call from my brother and he's like, where are you guys? And we told him, you know, we're about an hour away from Salt Lake City. And he's like, I think I took the wrong turn. <laughs> so, so my brother and all these people who had left early, who just wanted to get home, had taken a wrong turn. It basically made their trip a big L. They went left, straight to the middle of Utah, and then up. While we cut off that whole angle of the L. And so they still had several hours before they were going to make it home. Now, the destination for both cars was northern Utah. The time for our car was four hours. The time for their car was six to seven hours. The destinations were the same. However, the journey for us was much more pleasant and much quicker. At the end, we felt refreshed. We felt happy with our journey. Our car knew the best way to arrive at our destination. Their car knew the destination, knew how to get there in a roundabout way, but they ended up taking much longer because their journey took longer. Their journey was much harder. My point is this. We can be more successful on the journey to healing if we have someone who knows what they're doing guiding us on the quickest path to our destination. You can arrive at the same place, but it could take longer. So to summarize my advice with therapy, one, Find a therapist that works for you, and even more, find the healing methods that will work best for you. If the three A's don't help, try a mindfulness-based approach. If that doesn't work, practice self-compassion and empathy. Just know that the therapist has been trained on this and will be able to help you. If you're divorcing a narcissist, ask them if they have experience dealing with recovering from that mental abuse that often accompanies narcissism. If your spouse was an alcoholic, ask the same thing. If your primary concern is sex therapy, find a therapist who specializes in that. Remember, too, that therapy isn't a miracle drug. It can help you heal. It can help your relationship. But therapy without honesty on the part of both parties and a sincere desire and willingness to do the work to help a marriage can be pointless. And this is what happened for me. It gave me a false sense of hope that made me fall even harder when my wife asked for a divorce. Yes, you can work towards healing and reconciliation, but don't let it cloud your sense of reality. And three, there are many different types of therapies. You know, try the different methods. Even with all that, the 50% success rate I had with therapy, the negatives I had with therapy, I wouldn't be as well off or as healed as I am today without it. 
And that's what I want to leave with you last of all. The right therapist can be a guide that can help you heal from your divorce. You don't want to bottle all that crap up. We tend to do that to ourselves. We numb those negative emotions. We put them in mind vaults. We need to be aware of them, be mindful of them, and seek the right guides to help us with them. Now, we talked a bit about setting boundaries this week, but we'll be going more in depth next week about how we set up boundaries to protect ourselves and our children in divorce and to heal quicker from a spouse leaving you. So, I'll see you here next week. Thank you for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please like and subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others who could use support and healing. Visit thedivorcetribe.com for more resources to help you through your divorce, and follow me at The Divorce Tribe on Instagram to be notified when new episodes and content are released. Remember, you are not alone. We are part of the same tribe, The Divorce Tribe. Until next time.